0: it is wednesday because my microphone falls the 26th of april 2017 this is the promotional malpractice live chat my name is luke thomas i'm the host of this podcast thank you so much for watching here on mmafighting.com we'll go for about 90 minutes or so give or take usually give um or take really um We'll talk today about the Ultimate Fighter is going to be again tonight. The rivalry between TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrand appears to be heating up. We'll talk about and Al Iacquinta, who is certainly something else these days. We'll talk about, let's see, uh, UFC Nashville. Any re- re- lingering questions about that? But really, whatever you want to talk about. The best place to do that, of course, is going to be on MMAfighting.com, where this window is embedded. If you're looking for the embed link, I have already included it in the description box below. So please do that now. Give the video a like and subscribe to MMA Fighting. Uh, one small minor housekeeping note. Uh, I am off next week. I'll be on vacations. I'll be back the week after that, the, week of the fight week of uh, UFC 211. Um, so I'll be back for that, but I'll be off next week. Um, I'm sure somehow you will find a way to move forward with your lives. Got a haircut today. Looks good. And I'm excited about today's chat. So let's do it. Drink of choice today is core. All right. Delicioso. Let's get it going, shall we? Oblique kicks. I noticed in the Cub Swanson-Artem Lobov fight that Cub was utilizing oblique kicks that a lot of the Jackson and Winkeljohn fighters are accustomed to. These kicks are frowned upon by many fans and fighters alike. It's not really true. And my question is what if an is is my question is what if an oblique kick actually ended a fight and caused a massive leg injury. Do you think they would be outlawed shortly after or would nothing change? Well, it sort of stands to I mean, this is a um this is a largely a myth. I know some people don't like them, and I know that Rampage had spotlighted what John had done to him in the fight as sort of his lingering knee issue that never recovered. I'm sure that's true. Uh, I'm don't. i I'm, I'm imagining that Noguera's arm is never going to be the same after Amir snapped it, or um, Julia Budd has somehow recovered from getting her stuff torn to pieces, but I suspect Misha Tate will have lingering pain in her elbows going forward. Um, the truth of the oblique kick is that for as much as it's used and for as sinister as it looks, uh, there's not a lot of evidence that it's contributing to these massive array of leg injuries sport-wide. I mean, this is the pro- I mean, Look, MMA fans, more than any other fan, and I mean this, need to be careful about what they think they see as some kind of major problem. Does the data support it? Right? And here's what I mean. So many folks know that, I mean, no one's ever died in the UFC. People have died in NASCAR. Right, legends have died in NASCAR. Why? Because you're racing this metal box around a track at 200 miles an hour or more with a bunch of other guys doing the exact same thing, all going as fast as seemingly possible. Tons of bad things can happen. Tons of bad things can happen. Uh, but the difference is that when someone might die in that car, while it could be incredibly tragic, there's no you don't see a guy bleeding or is, you know, being burned to death or... Uh, you know, some kind of awful traumatic injury to his s- skeletal, you know, uh, to his spine or something. You don't see any of that. So there's a bit of a sanitary way that you go about doing it. What we need to see in MMA is to the extent there is data that this technique thrown so often causes so many problems that we need to consider outlawing it because it's shortening careers, it's, t- it's taking money away from guys um it's doing all manner of bad things to a degree above and beyond what either other submission holds do and i know submission is different because you can release but you can tap and a referee will ostensibly jump in or choke you just go out right but um but to my knowledge there is no data like and even anecdotally it doesn't support that at all so no i have no real problem with it until such information has been not only shown but peer-reviewed and more like what we are talking about is i think a total non-problem if you don't like the the oblique kick that's fine but did artem Lobov complain about his knee afterwards i don't think so i didn't hear anything out of him he seemed to think that it was he, he barely made a dent at all um you know john jones landing a rampage seems to be this one very famous case there might be some other ones i don't suspect that's the only time someone's been hurt by it there's probably been a number of these but i know it's real popular to be like oh this is such a terrible thing show me the data and until then i i, I remained very unconvinced because i was sp- spoken to a lot of fighters who have either used it or fought guys who have used it and almost none of them have ever complained rampage notably yes complained. there might be i'm sure there's some other ones i'm sure but um uh, I don't. I don't see that as a problem at all. We need to be as a fan base very, very diligent, very well—not diligent, I should say. Maybe vigilance, a better word, about not accepting things that can be popularized by one or two fighter statements that aren't supported by a larger body of work. And until there's a larger body of work on this, and again, I, I can name dozens of fighters that have used it that don't have any problem with it. And I can interview, I, I'll, I'll ask, you know, I've got TJ and Diego Sanchez on my show today. I'll ask them. I doubt they have any problem with either They them. And I use it, but, you know, um, the, we, this is the sport of destroying someone else's body, right? There are some limits to that because there are some, there are certain vulnerabilities that can be catastrophic. There are certain vulnerabilities you just wish to avoid for the sake of keeping this relatively above board removing the oblique in no real way makes anyone safer versus let's say removing shots to the back of the head or i know you can attack the clavicle in certain states but the clavicle is a very um uh, it's not one of your stronger bones it can be broken right that kind of a thing um you know we allow inside heel hooks and i know you can tap but the the window to tap on that is so small, and the damage you can wreak happens so fast. If you, know, if you really want to protect guys' knees, get rid of the inverted heel hook. I guarantee that has done both in practice and in fights way more damage. Way more damage. You're like, look, you can tap. You, you cannot tap fast enough to certain guys. Certain guys are vicious with it, um, and it won't matter. Um, so, no, to me, this is a total non-issue. Someone says, I think they are cheap shots. Okay. We are all allowed to have a diversity of opinion on this one. Someone says, it's not an oblique kick either. That's what Rogan calls it. The proper name is a chass bass bass, a savat technique. Your oblique is on your side uh, about your hips. Those are your oblique abs. Your oblique is nowhere near the knee. Well, oblique can also just sort of mean to the side, right? um but okay i mean it, it might come from savat it certainly might be true but i don't i don't until until someone can demonstrate these are uniquely troubling in a way worthy of changing regulatory code state by state well then yeah we can pick that up but i have seen no evidence even close even close to demonstrating that fact they just they, they look a certain way that people don't like great show me the data all right UFC 213. Hi, Luke. So what are the tickets for UFC 213 going to be available? All right. So let's see. When is UFC 213? It's going to be July. What is the date on that? Officially, July 8th at the T-Nubs Arena. Um, so I suspect they'll be on sale probably the end of next month. They go a little late these days. Maybe at the end of this one. Um. As you know, D.C. Jones, Durandami Cyborg is targeted for 214. So who does it Who does it come to to headline the UFC 213 card? Well, Garbrand and Dillashaw are going to be on it. Maybe it'll be that. I heard rumors of Tyron Woodley versus Nick Diaz. Some even say against Conor McGregor. The McGregor thing is just, please stop. And it actually could be possible considering that Robbie and Cowboy are already booked to face each other and Maya Masvidal is happening pretty soon. And the other is Bisping GSP which is not certain at what stage it is. Looks like that's going to be fall, winter. Who else could headline that card? I don't really know. I've tried to think about what rabbits of the hat they're going to pull out. You might just be getting this. Like, this is what it looks like when the UFC has a down year. Uh, Is that International Fight Week might be headlined by TJ versus Cody, which is a fine fight. I mean, promoted by the ultimate fighter. Ridiculous, insane rivalry. Two guys at the top of their field. Uh, I mean, it's everything you could want out of a fight, but it doesn't have necessarily the same kind of um, it doesn't have two guys with an extraordinary amount of celebrity fighting one another. Um, so I think that's what's missing and who on the roster could reasonably fill it. You, I mean, you've done the legwork here. I completely agree with your assessment. It, it was supposed to be, I, I really think they thought that GSP versus uh, Bisping was going to do this. And now it, it looks like that's almost for certain not going to happen. And you could see, I think Bisping's threat. I'll just go fight Romero. I don't think that, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure if anyone ever believed that, including Romero. So um I, I think we need to just temper our expectations about what international fight is gonna look like this year. Remember, they're pairing it down from three fights to two, three events, I should say to two. Well, three Okay, the the fight pass guys get mad when I say this, but um two two fighting events. The one on Friday, the one on Saturday, then there's the Hall of Fame on Thursday. There's no fights associated with that, but you get the idea. So I I I really honest to God, I I have been racking my brain about this one too. Uh, they might try and make another one depending on how things go at uh i, I really don't know i really don't know i I've, I've, i have thought about this long and hard as well they might have a quick turnaround on someone from 211 uh maybe they get Stipe back in there real fast um maybe in J.J. i don't I, it, it's it's a tough call it's a very 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 tough call i would just say if it ends up being tj versus cody don't be surprised Nick Diaz. Last week that you mentioned that Nick Diaz was offered a crazy fight that we would not believe. What is it? Um, well, I can't. Someone says it's going to be Woodley. Well, I haven't had a second source verify it, so I can't really go public until then. But someone's like, it's Tyron Woodley. It's The name I was, I was given is so much crazier than Tyron Woodley, you cannot imagine. Infinitely crazier than Tyron Woodley. Infinitely. I kinda of want to text that person's manager to see if that's true. We're going about this the wrong way. You know what? I'll do that after the show. Andrade versus Joanna. Can you do a quick breakdown of this fight? Who do you think will emerge the victor? I think I've talked about this a little bit before. Question for me is whether Joanna is not shopworn, but she's been put through the ringer for a while. To what extent she has her the same kind of physical tenacity she had before. Um at range, I don't see how Andraj competes with her, but if Andraj can just bully forward, back her up, take her down, um, you know, get her to be hesitant about striking, um, land a big shot or two on her, um, th- these are sort of the key considerations. I mean, we'll have a bigger breakdown as we get closer to the fight, which I know is not too far away, just two weeks and some change at this point. So uh, it- it's right around the corner. But my-, my sense is that if the Joanna we know to be there is there, she wins. But if she has experienced some kind of in- inevitable decline from Sort of being put through the meat grinder with these long five-round fights that she's been having, you know, Andrage absolutely, absolutely can play the spoiler. I wouldn't discount her chances at all. Um, but if if Jinchae can stay on her feet, tear up Andrade from a distance, you know, these are sort of the keys to, to doing this. But we'll get into a bigger breakdown as we get closer to that fight. Someone says, "I got the upset." Andrade showed great cardio in her last fight, and I think she can walk through Joanna's punches for five rounds and put her in trouble scoring rounds. Uh, that's in t- I mean, it would be very, very... F- I know everyone's like, oh, the queen of violence is back. I mean, look, you is know, incredible. You'd be foolish to discount her chances, but this might be a live dog here. Andrage is, Andrage is not to be trifled with at all. All right, this is a good question, because you know what? I had a question about it before, and I even uh, texted my producer who runs the whole channel about this. Someone says, Brian Stan... Cyborg criticism. Luke, you tweeted. Someone also says, by the way, if Joanna decides to brawl, which is possible, Andrade has a good chance. I don't think she will, but you're right. Um, Okay, Luke, you tweeted out a SiriusXM Rush SoundCloud clip of Brian Stan placing some blame on Cyborg for the issues she has with the UFC. He also made a claim that she once lied about her weight and the UFC knew she was lying because they had proof. He also detailed his frustration when he once tried to get a Cyborg pre-fight interview and he was repeatedly blown off. What did you make of his comments? Do you think the UFC had them remove the clip? It was quickly deleted and did not return. Well, first of all, if you want to hear it and you're a XM subscriber, I checked this before the show. You can just go hear it on XM On Demand. Why they took it down? That's a great question. I asked my pr- my producer who runs the channel the very same thing, because it was a good clip. I enjoyed it. No, the UFC did not tell him to take it down. I have a. I think I know why I got taken down, but... Um, there might be a a different producer error, but it's a great question. I'm going to find out why, because I don't think it's a good thing either. Um, now, let me say something about what Brian Stan said here for a second, because I know, oh God, fighters, man, they are sensitive butterflies. Jesus. If you didn't hear the clip, then you can't appreciate this necessarily. But please let me assure you that on the clip, Brian Stan was also, number one, hugely, hugely complimentary of Cyborg hugely had a ton of nice things to say which you have to do in MMA when you give analysis now because if you don't every fighter in the world gets mad at you and it's not it's like the job of the MMA media is not to please fighters but like if you can just avoid the hassle sometimes you will uh because it doesn't matter like the the, the, the tiniest amount of criticism sends them into a tizzy like The more experienced ones don't care typically, but even then it can be a problem. So let me defend Brian Stan here for a second. If there was a way to give responsible, fair, and informed criticism while also offering a healthy dose of praise, he did it. There is not one thing objectionable in the way in which he packaged that content about what Brian Stan said. Nothing, not a thing, short of him lying, which I don't think he was doing. I sincerely doubt he's the kind of guy who gets up there and does that. Of all the candidates you could pick for a person who would do that, he seems to be probably last on the list. So I know Cyborg was out there being like, I didn't hear the things, the, the mean things Brian Stan said about me. Man, Brian Stan said a lot of nice things too. So how about counting those before everyone gets super upset about it? But all right, what did he say? He did mention something about her not being truthful about her, her weight, but the context of that wasn't fully explained in the clip that I heard. So I don't know which situation he's mentioning there. But the one he did go into detail was that when he calls a fight, right? So he's covering an event in Brazil or wherever. Uh, What was the last one? Uh, Nashville. When he does that, he wants to talk to every single fighter ahead of the the card. That his belief is he owes them that. Because when they get up there and they're making their walkout and they're going to the cage, yes, it benefits him to sound informed but really he wants to say nice things about you. He wants to, he wants to talk about maybe some of the challenges you've been having, but he wants to hear your side of the story too. And he wants to relay that to the audience. And he was trying to do that for one of Cyborg's fights in Brazil. And according to the story that he told, which I'm sure from his vantage point is 1000% correct, was that he had an appointment to speak to her at, you know, sometime let's just say noon. And he called no answer, called no answer, called no answer. Now he knows, um, George Lockhart, who apparently in this clip he also revealed, which I didn't know, that George Lockhart was in Cyborg's camp. According to Brian Stan, uh, which I believe is also true, apparently the UFC paid for that, not Cyborg, which is also interesting. But okay, so he's trying to contact her, and he gets no answer. Let me tell you something. As a guy who has to book fighters for interviews, People are like, it's easy to get fighters. It, it looks that way because they do a lot of them. It is very difficult. <laughs> it is very difficult. They routinely flake or forget or have a bad phone connection or something. And I know you're not, you don't care about that. I'm just saying, hearing a guy complain, or not complain, but sort of note he had trouble getting a hold of another fighter, least surprising thing of all, which I'm sure he knows as well. Brian Stan's a very savvy, smart guy. So he goes, aha, George Lockhart's there. I know him really well let me just call up george and see what we can figure out so he calls up george and he's like george do you know where cyborg cyborg is he's like yeah i'm in the room with her and he goes uh did she ever phone with her and apparently she did and he's like she's not answering it nope so i don't know if he eventually did the interview by having george pass the phone or not i'm not sure exactly how the story ends but he was just describing like it's frustrating as a commentator you know to uh, that was just his in his his interaction with her was as a commentator, wanting to be able to tell her stories, wanted to be able to get, you know, and, and whatever they tell him ahead of time, he doesn't reveal. it doesn't tell anybody, not even John Anik. He waits until the broadcast to talk about it. So he takes, you know, it was almost like a lawyer-client privilege. And he didn't have any of that because he never got a chance to speak to, to, speak to Cyborg. Um, so I guess they didn't pass the phone over. Um, and so he's just talking about how she can be very difficult to work with, which seems like a very fair criticism. Like, I've, I've defended Cyborg in a number of ways, but does it strike me that she's, like, super easy to work with? No. No, it doesn't. It strikes me she's probably very difficult to work with, and it strikes me that because there's a poisonous relationship between she and the UFC that it, it makes it even more difficult, right, which is partly the UFC's fault for the way they have treated her, but it's also partly the way she is, you know? So, like, to me, neither side is really blameless here, and I think all he was saying was, and he after this, he goes on, like, a three-minute explanation of why she's so awesome right which apparently doesn't count anymore when a guy gives a fighter doesn't matter if you give 99 minutes of praise to a fighter if you give one minute of criticism that's the only part they hear often um even if you're another fighter like brian stan or you know a former fighter he goes on for three minutes and basically just explains that like dude this is the, she is he's like i've seen her train up close I've seen her in the gym i've seen her cut weight personally she is just a phenomenal athlete she's so talented and she's so right that she is a star and she should be marketed better. And she, he even said she was right that, you know, does UFC need stars and she can deliver and there should be something done about that. Just that he, all he was pointing out was that she can sometimes be just difficult to work with, which this is some terrible criticism. This is very fair. This is very fair right down the middle. I mean, this is like, you know, one of the big realities for me, uh, has been kind of like, I, I'm glad a lot of fighters have gotten into podcasting or have gotten into television or um, even radio because they've discovered what we've known in the media all along, that uh, even mild, fair, you know, informed criticism of another fighter often results in that other fighter being incredibly upset. And it wasn't until fighters became not journalists but media – that they got a taste of that as well from the other side. Um, And so they've kind of – I mean, it's actually made it better overall, but there is still this lingering population that just takes great offense at even the slightest innocuous kind of thing. So why was the clip taken down? I don't really know. I hope to find out. What the hell? All right, well, now she's telling me something else. Good question. I don't know. Speaking of Cyborg, are we missing out on a good group of competitors for her? There are a lot of very large female combat athletes out there with incredible skills. Clarissa Shields, Kayla Ichio, Kayla Harrison, but she's under contract. Who knows if there's other ones? Clarissa Shields is a boxer. Ichio is a wrestler. Hell, gold medals in boxing, wrestling, and judo respectively come to mind. Since the 145 division is still considered new and developing, why doesn't the UFC try to recruit some of those types of women with incredibly high skill, although one-dimensional, to get to the division off the ground? It would take years of investment to do that. Wouldn't it be better to see super talents competing against each other from other disciplines than to watch mediocre mixed martial artists? It's very, very uh, difficult to get a division off the ground. They've got a few names that can do at 145. It'd be much make, make much more sense at 125, which is what Bellator is trying to do. But it looks like ufc doesn't even have interest in that maybe ufc will pick up adam wade at 105 because that's what invicta specializes in but you need a it's the ufc doesn't really want to be in the business of really developing divisions i mean some of that is inevitable and they have to do it but there has to be a grassroots system that also works in tandem with them if they are the grassroots system for talent development it can become a problem. They don't really have the current infrastructure to do that properly. Now, I'm, I'm actually working on something that will hopefully exp, uh, suggest some changes to fix that. But as it stands, this is why Bellator is a much better option for people like... I mean, I know Kayla signed with World Series or PFA, whatever it is. but Oh, PFL, whatever it is. But um, they have the infrastructure to deal with that because they... Can put you on a prelim card where no one really cares. They can give you fights against a no name, and there's no brand issue. Um, there's just a lot of different ways in which those are those organizations are just better situated to deal with it. UFC is is up here, and if they've got people that need help because they can get here eventually, but they aren't now, it, it's just it's just tough for them. It's really tough. I, in fact, I got an email to that effect. Someone reached out to me, and I am very surprised by this the the nature of this email. Someone says. Does the new UFC matchmaking strike you as extremely lacking? They have a huge star in the making in Mickey Gall and don't have, don't even have rumors of any fights lined up. He told me, um, had him on my show a couple weeks ago. He said, Summer, is well, what he, he's been hearing. Sage Northcutt, despite the loss, is one of the most marketable looking guys they've had in forever and they have nothing for him because he can't really compete at this level. It's a major problem for them because Sage Northcutt, is marketable, I suppose. People seem to gravitate to him. And it looks like with time, he could be quite good. Uh, but as it stands, I don't think he's really ready for this level. And I don't think that's very controversial. They could be putting CM Punk in cupcake fights on free TV to help build him along while drawing big ratings. Right. In fights that would probably look very terrible. There's a reason why they haven't put him on TV. Um and it's because they have a brand quality to uphold. I know folks don't take that seriously or think it's a, well, they take it seriously, but they don't think it's as big of an issue as it is. It's a really big issue. You're going to put on free TV a guy who has an 0-1-1 record, no professional fights or no amateur uh, fights before that, and no real large competitive experience whatsoever. That is a recipe for disaster. Couple all this with the fact they used to do giant press conferences announcing four months of, worth of fights at once with a theme and a marketing strategy that i think is a very good point totally true that pizzazz that like literally that stage is missing now they barely announced complete cards with a few months in advance they are selling tickets for events without main event fights what is going on partly that's i think new matchmakers figuring out how to get things done partly that's guys fighting out their contracts making things more difficult for them That's what i've heard um yeah, it's a new era. All right, Luke, save us the trouble. Any updates on Diaz, Nick, and Nate? No. I am telling you, if you heard the name <laughs> that Diaz was offered, you would. Uh, old McGregor might say, "Crap your jocks." Connor versus Floyd? No. Bisping GSP, where I talked about that. Ronda's return; she's getting married, bro. Anderson Silva's opponent? No. Tony? No. Habib? No. Kat Zingano? No. I was supposed to talk to Kat last week, and that fell through at the last minute, too. So I almost had an answer for you on the last one, but she she had to decline it at the last minute, so I don't know what happened there, unfortunately. Someone says, I want to see Zingano versus McMahon. It doesn't make sense because McMahon is on a winning streak, unlike Zingano, but I think it'll be a good fight. It'll be a great fight. It'll be a great fight. All right, Rage and Al Iaquinta's Rage Against the Machine, and what is next for him? This person says, Al Iaquinta had an extraordinary week, his impressive first-round KO of Diego Sanchez after a long layoff, his post-fight interviews, his Twitter beefs, and his loud ongoing fighter pay issues. What do you think is his way of dealing with the UFC, Dana White, and his MMA career in general? What's next for him? Has he just signed a contract in the UFC? Excuse me, he has just signed a contract in the UFC, but if he hates his employer and he is pretty far from the title picture, shouldn't he just have gone to Bellator? They have a good lightweight division. If the money is better there, why not? Well, all right. So a couple of things here. What do you think of his way of dealing with the UFC Dana White and his MMA career in general? It's, man, are you all just at the same time just bugged out by what he's doing? Like, okay. Okay. So he takes two years off. He comes back and looks amazing. Amazing. Um, just blows through Diego. Now, there's a question about to what extent Diego should keep competing uh, and where he really has left to offer and whether he's like, you know, Joe Lazon maybe, uh, you know, past his prime, but he's not fighting the uh, right now anymore, anymore the ally acquaintance of the world. Um, he's fighting, you know, Stevie Ray, which is a very tough challenge, but you know what I'm saying? It's a thick division. Everyone's good, but not at the very, very top. There's a question about who Diego should be fighting, number one. Number two, um, so he looks amazing, right? Then in his post-fight interview, he, like, mentions real estate and not much. I mean, he gives, you know, some thanks, but he looked tremendous. And then his post-fight interview in his scrum backstage, he's like, I don't even know if it's worth it to do this kind of thing. Uh, he was on Ariel's show, and you all saw that. He was on my show. His phone crapped out, which sucked. But you basically get the gist of what he's had to say. Um, clearly, (laughs) clearly it goes without saying that whatever happened, boy, he took a red pill after that injury, huh? Man, he took a red pill. A lot of these guys, uh, a lot of these guys, I I don't even know where to start. There's so much to get to on this one. Um, make sure the sound still works. Yes. Lordy, it's a miracle. All right, number one, I've never we talked about how we've talked about in the past how we've never seen fighter discontent, and I mean that as guys speaking up in an aggregate way. But even then, every once in a while, a guy comes along, even in this enhanced climate, and does something that still kind of shocks you a little bit. I'm not shocked that Al spoke out. I'm shocked that he spoke out. By name, telling Dana White to f off, saying, calling into question him, saying that the best part of a UFC Brooklyn was the flight home, um, and being angry about it, you know, calling out Sean Shelby to an extent. Um, just a guy who clearly had unresolved anger, and not really unresolved, maybe even um, additional, you know. <laughs> I hate to use the word and I wouldn't ordinarily never would, but it's what all the rage is on Twitter these days. Feels like rather than calling him Rage and Al, we should call him woke Al. It, it is almost as if he took the red pill and has since realized that I mean his entire vision of how he perceives himself and his relationship to the UFC and what the UFC is and how they make money and how they pay fighters, it has completely turned. It was like Dennis Miller after 9/11, where he went from like flaming liberal to hardcore conservative. Um, he just had a moment where everything switched for him, and that can happen. And it typically happens in the situations that to that person can be almost traumatic. I don't think he got traumatic like he's losing sleep at night, and um, you know, he'll never be the same. Quite the opposite, he has found a different way to be happy. I, I'm sure in his real life he is happy. But insofar as it relates to the UFC, he is clearly unhappy. He is clearly more than unhappy and more than dissatisfied. He is v- visibly angry. Um, and it's because he believes that whatever veil of ignorance he had on before, it's gone. And he sees the machine, in his view it seems that way, for what it is. Now whether you share all of his perspective on this or not, it will I'm sure it will vary person to person. Some of you might really enjoy it and cheerlead it. Some of you will probably say he's a whiner. Uh, maybe he's talented, but he's a whiner. And there'll be everyone in between. You know. Uh, as for me, I don't know without talking to him more. Certainly, his many of his gripes are not new. You've heard it from many other fighters. That he says it in the way he does is kind of new, and that he is so direct with his you. I mean, he's not. He's not in any way. Even when guys were speaking up before, they would camouflage it a little bit or soften it a little bit for palatability. He's not doing that at all. Not at all. Not even a little bit. Um, And uh, I don't know what the UFC is going to do about it. I really don't. I don't know how they're going to handle this one. seems to me they haven't said anything to him. You know? I think the days of them trying to police a fighter's conduct, uh, I'm not going to say are over, but they're probably going to take a step back from that because they reasonably can't. Like, if this were the NFL... And someone were going off like this, I'm not sure exactly what infraction this would break, but they would basically fine you. You know, I mean, the coach for what was it what was it the um, was it the Grizzlies? I can't remember which coach it was. Who after the game went on this like insane tirade? Not insane, but like keep that for data, and uh, and they got fined like a, like thousands of dollars for it. Um, I don't think the UFC wants to be in that position. I feel like they're, I f- it, it, for once, it feels almost like they're on the back foot with that kind of thing. I mean, they're really not, they're really more just going to tolerate it and move on. But even that is a step back from, you know, s- like tamping it down, like actively curbing it, going after it, policing it, fining it. There was a time there where they might have done that. I don't think they're going to do that this time. But there might be other ways they mess with him. They might not give him a fight for a while, or they'll give him a fight on a card he doesn't really care about. He has two fights left on his deal. He has one more and then one after that. So, this was not, this. He have a four fight deal, this, of a four fight deal that he signed however long ago. This was the second one. Um, so, the question was, what is next for him? That's going to be the really interesting one. Does he fight out his contract? Does the UFC like, get in his way as he fights out his contract? What's going to happen there? Um, but if he hates his employer, and he is pretty far from the title picture. Shouldn't he just have gone to Bellator? Easy to say that before you had some kind of spiritual or real-world awakening about how things operate. Uh, very, very easy to say that now. Yeah, it's only because now, he, in, in his world, he realized that things weren't uh, hunky-dory. That's the problem. They have a good lightweight division, and if money there is better, why not? Yeah, I mean, I think he would have gone there if he could have. Or at least now, if he could, he probably would. But look, everyone's like, so and so changed their opinion on something, right? It's called being a human being. People do it all the time. Holding an opinion as your life circumstances change is, uh, you know, depending on what the issue is, can be irresponsible to the truth and to yourself. Right, people, their worldview can change over time, and if you have a particularly bad incident, where his was a combination of injury, seems like misunderstanding, uh, financial woes, and it felt like he got discarded or forgotten. Boy, that can really do a number on your morale. It could do a number on you, how you perceive yourself and how you think others in that organization perceive you. And maybe it's correct and maybe it's not. I'm sure the UFC has a very different perspective on this, which they aren't really ready to share or will never share. So maybe there's more evidence to it. But certainly from Al's perspective, you can see that he had a certain assumption about who he was and his place in the organization, and that was shattered. It was shattered. And as a consequence, the world as he understood it is showered, shattered. Excuse me. And now he intends to talk about the real version as he sees it, which is um, remarkably more sinister and difficult to navigate, and really unfair. Really unfair. And as it relates to that Reebok deal, this was a thought I had on Twitter yesterday, which um, I still sort of stand by, at least in terms of mitigating bad press. If there was a fighters' union, right, or some kind of trade, some some kind of trade association or a union. How much bad press would there be for the UFC today? I would argue substantially less. Now, even you might say, well, look, there's a trade association for football and there's a union in baseball. Right. It would not shield you completely. Um, But it would make a big difference, even just on the Reebok deal alone. Imagine if there had been an association or a, a union at some point, and either that, through those mechanisms, it either got blocked or reformed in a way that was in keeping with fighter interests. So let's let's just posit a scenario. Imagine how radically different things would be today, not merely in how the MMA media and the larger media treated the story, both initially and as time went on, but look at what it has done by enabling Bellator to an extent, perhaps in a limited extent, but it certainly has. Scott Coker has not been shy at all, at all, uh, about how good it's been for his business. Right in free agent acquisition and probably even signing the younger guys who can sell sponsorship, guys like Aaron Pico. Aaron Pico is going to make money selling sponsorship, no doubt about it. I had Ryan Bader on my show yesterday. He's making pre reebok era money through guys like 8-Man Strong and other – and other. Uh, if you guys know anything about powerlifting, 8-Man is like one of the top brands um, for clothing apparel. And they sponsor like big-time athletes like Larry Wheels and George Lehman and that kind of thing. Um, he's sponsored by them. Like, I mean, it's a small company, but they got cash in any event. Like that was a huge deal, a huge deal. And imagine if a union was able to remove most of that, how much different criticism would be? Would there still be criticism of fighter pay? Probably. And the reason why the the UFC doesn't want a trade association or a union is because there'd probably be some revenue share. As a consequence that they don't want to have to give up. I, I get it. Like they, they, they there's a reason why they don't. But you know, every day there's just this onslaught, one guy after the other and lady, disgruntled because they're underpaid, disgruntled because they didn't get a bonus, disgruntled because in Al's view, the bonus system is used to control them, disgruntled because um they don't like the way they're promoted, like cyborg. I mean, it's just one thing after the other. There would still be some of that, but to me it's this cascading effect because these guys and these ladies, they feel helpless. And if there was some kind of union, I think a lot of these grievances would go towards that, or at least would be mitigated by that, or the union itself would become a source of some level of, um, uh, you know, it would attract the disgruntled. So the UFC wouldn't take the brunt of it anymore, but now it's just all the guns get trained on them every day. You know, it's just it's it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. So I mean that's not a reason for the UFC to get behind a union per se, but you would just wonder when there's week after week after week after week of negative press. You know, and people like well there's no consequence to it. Look at what happened with the NFL. First of all, youth participation in sports in this country is and I'm sorry, youth participation in football is down in this country and in some communities dramatically, including the Pop Warner level. Moreover, um there's still ongoing litigation for CTE I, I suspect there will be more like to, to me the idea that there's no consequence to this I don't buy it there may be some baked in changes that take time to reveal themselves I think that's the bigger issue and I remember distinctly I remember this so distinctly around 2005 or 6 you know when Dana White was doing all that crazy stuff with the media and talking bad about Gary Shaw and calling Loretta Hunt an effing C and all, all this stuff and people were like we love his candor you know maybe we went too far one situation or the other but you know we love his candor and I kept thinking to myself how is it this guy can do it and nobody else can like none of these, none of these other executives do it well partly because they don't have that kind of you know take no prisoners attitude okay all right that's sort of his thing I get it but if he really goes above and beyond like how how come they don't do it right here's why it's because that will cost you in the end and sure enough That fighter monopoly lawsuit has not merely muted him in a way he used to be. It has fundamentally transformed the way Dana White talks to the media. He talks to them less, and when he does, he goes to mainstream organs who won't ask him about specifics, typically on very controversial details that he ordinarily would have no problem sparring with, right? Because when you say things like that, they will take them and they will use them against you. That's the world we live in. There's no free lunch. It doesn't happen that way. And for me, when I see headline after headline, and yes, maybe maybe it's on MMA fighting or bloody elbow or junkie. And that's indigenous MMA media. But that creeps up eventually into the larger space. Those attitudes aren't forever concealed here. You know, what does that do to fan enthusiasm? What does that do to sponsor enthusiasm? What does that do to participatory rates across the country? What does that do to talent recruitment from, you know, other sport, uh, other uh, guys in other sports? Like, all of these things have a consequence, man. All of them have a consequence. How big how, and when we're going to see it, I don't know. But... I know I'm sort of going long about this on this uh, Ally Quinta thing, but th- the these are the salient issues here to be considered. Uh, given, give the Von Fluke, excuse me, Jesus, that's what they should call it, the Von Fluke. Give the Von Fluke choke credit. I heard your post-fight analysis in USC Nashville and saw many comments online that seemed to shrug off OSPs He put in parentheses, impressive win as only unskilled fighters get caught in a Von flu. Well, that's not what I said, but okay. My point is that the element of surprise, the creativity, and the skill to actually do it in the UFC is very impressive. That's not true. Why won't people give wins via Von flu the credit it deserves? Unfortunately, I didn't catch your Monday morning analyst. You might have elaborated there. Uh, I did elaborate there. You wouldn't play down a KO that a great defensive fighter wouldn't get hit with, would you? Connor's KO of Aldo, Weidman's KO of Silva, Sarah's KO of GSP were great KOs, but no way Floyd Mayweather or Pernell Whitaker would get caught with that, just as Demi and Maya wouldn't get Vaughn Flute. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, name the last time, Jesus, even at a purple belt level at a no-gi tournament. I mean, I'm sure it's happening at a purple belt level. But, like, name the last time at any major tournament, any IBJJF no-gi tournament, let's say Brown belt and up, that anyone got Von Fluid, notably, maybe it's happened, but like I, I can't, I can't remember the last time I saw one, because skilled guys don't get caught in them, and you don't have to be Demian Maia to not get caught in them. Right? There are just some things that work. Look, armbar from the guard is probably not going to work on Marcelo Garcia, right? Um, the Darce worked on him in transition that Robert Drysdale hit. Okay. So that can work. If there's a size differential, you can catch someone in transition. Um, there, there are just certain submissions that have a higher percentage against better talent, right? Inverted heel hooks, they so said you can set them up. Um, you know, Baron Bolos to the back and then a bow and arrow choke. A bow and arrow choke works on the highest level of talent, right? That's a very – if you get caught in a bow and arrow, that says nothing about your skill level because almost anybody can get caught in a bow and arrow. I cannot remember the last time I saw anyone of any merit at all ever get caught in that but look MMA here's what I'll say about it MMA is very very different in MMA you're getting your face broken in I believe De Lima got his face broken in um, you can be you can be incredibly tired bloody you can't see straight maybe you're not thinking straight because you had your brain rattled in those particular circumstances or if someone's just ultra quick with it that'd be fine but he wasn't really ultra quick with it you know. He took advantage of an opportunity he saw, but it was just a slow, a slow, put his arm around it. And the Monday morning analyst went through it slide by slide. You can go check it out there. Um, so you give credit to the guy who applied the choke. He had the presence of mind to try it, right? Obviously, his finishing application, because he did it from half guard, is very, very good. This is a choke he knows and can feel the, feel the positioning of it really well. So there's that in addition. I will give him credit that if he can lock this up on you, his chances of finishing it are great. They're really, really great. Um, But good fighters don't leave it over there when someone has a guillotine and they're on the wrong side. If I want to guillotine you with my right arm, I need to get to my right hip. He had the guillotine in his left arm and was on his right hip. Let go of the head immediately. Immediately. (laughs) Like, this is super basic. Super basic. So I know it looks cool because you're taking advantage of a guy and you're wrapping around. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's been cases. Uh, I actually in my initial, um, what was it? In my initial Barbarina versus um, Northcut video, where we talked about this, I used an old Eric Schaefer video. Eric Schaefer went to a local grappling competition and I think fought either another brown or a black belt and caught that guy in him. It can happen. It can happen in Nogi, especially when you have um, unusual setups or a guy might leave his arm in danger for different reasons. So it can happen, but it's extremely rare, extremely rare. And it is almost always an indictment on someone's grappling. And here's why you also know that in this case, I would encourage you actually to go watch the Monday Morning Analyst. Like I put effort into those things to try to explain some things to y'all. It's not merely that he leaves he gets his left arm up and then he gets to his right hip where you have no mechanical advantages whatsoever. I mean nothing. you are you are and, and they're on the opposite side. like even if you had even if you had them on the like, on the right, I mean it was just its it's so bad. It's so bad, right? Um, he does other things that tell you his game is limited. So I keep talking about this too. Everyone thinks that, like, lanky guys are super good grapplers, and they can be if they're facing guys who aren't good passers because what they'll often do is they'll often extend themselves. But if I'm balled up, if you need to get inside my fist, if you want to get inside here and I remain tight, how are you going to do it? You have to pry it open. But if I just explode open, you can cover the space. There are two times in that fight, two times. One time he just lifts OSP, so OSP, he gives OSP the space to bang on him. And another time, he could have gone to leg drag, just didn't need to, just kind of need his way into half guard. Like a big, uh, someone, a, a big guy like that who has like a power lifter build, when they extend out like that and it creates space, CM Punk did it too. Go back and watch the CM Punk. Um, Mickey Gall, uh, Monday Morning Analyst. When you're first grappling or you don't have a ton of experience off your back, your initial instinct is when you're getting out from underneath a bad position is to explode open. But somebody who's good is going to know the control positions and they're going to wait till you do that and then they're going to mount you. They're going to mount you. They're going to take their back or they're going to pass fully to the side. They're going to get in between your elbow and your ribs, right? Because if you're to the side, you kind of pass you, but not really. You want to pry that open. You want to get here on the ribs. That's where you want to be. You want to have that knee inside here. If you explode out, that's what's going to happen. He does that twice in that. And, And if you're going to explode and push someone off with your knees, you have to sit up almost immediately. You have to follow that. You have to follow that. And then he had this one time where he had this underhook, but he kind of like didn't rotate his body the right way. Like it just tells me on top, he might be a really good grappler. He might have super sick pressure with his um, shoulder pressure. He might have vicious knee cut pass. He might be really, I mean, terrible on top with neon belly. You would hate to be underneath him. I'm not saying DeLima is a terrible grappler. It's not what I'm saying. But a lot of big guys like that, a lot of big guys like that at heavyweight, they're so used to being able to get on top of someone else and just play a game that they have no underneath game. And if you're trying to play an underneath game, you're going to leave your arm out when you're not supposed to. You're going to put your hands where they shouldn't be. You're not going to protect yourself, and someone's going to pass. That is what is going to happen. That's exactly what happened there. So, like, I give OSP, a lot of, a lot of instructors will tell you, You know, what should you do in a jiu-jitsu match? A lot of them will tell you, take what they give you. Just take what they give you. He gave him that, so he took it. That's exactly what a guy is supposed to do. The difference is, guys who have any kind of a real game off of their back basically never do that. Oh, I think I missed one. Yes, I did. Uh, What can Bellator do to surpass the UFC? Jesus. I mean, a lot. I mean, or they need to do a lot. Seems like Bellator is gaining momentum with all these new free agent signings. It's somewhat overstated and aggressive scheduling. A little bit to to that. Plus, it has some built-in advantages like allowing fighters to have sponsors on fight day and being backed by major media conglomerate. That coupled with the $4 billion cloud hanging over the UFC, blah, blah, blah. My question is, what fighters would Bellator need to add before it would be considered on par with the UFC? Oh, we have, they would have to drain half the roster. They already have two of the top five and top three, top 10 at 205. What are the inroads where they also have to make half the roster? All right. We think the chances are that Bellator ever surpasses the UFC. It would take a, a minor miracle. Double bonus. What are the odds that Bellator surpasses UFC? WME struggles to pay off its debt and sells the struggling UFC franchise to Viacom. Highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Someone writes this under the uh, question about the Vaughn flu choke. I've been training BJJ for eight and a half years and have never been caught in one. My first coach told me what happens when I hang on to a guillotine showed me what it felt like, lesson learned. I have caught a few people with it, and guess what? They all have in common. They were beginners in white belts. Anyone who gets caught in one either has one, a horrible BJJ coach, or be very, very elementary understanding of grappling or theory, a refusal to learn basic concepts, think those concepts don't apply to them basically athletically superior and the rules don't apply. I would add a couple of those because I've seen good guys get caught occasionally. I would say, number one, you might just have a bad day. Two, if you're in an MMA fight and you're just beat up, right? You're not a, your, your mind's not there, you can get caught. But I'm telling you, like they are, it's an extremely low percentage submission as you get higher up the ranks. And they're hard to catch on anybody who's got his wits about them. UFC's $5 billion buyout offer. Dana White claimed the UFC got a $5 billion offer. I saw that. But that they went for WME IMG's $4 billion offer, do you believe, Dana? Sure. I'm sure that there were a bunch of investors wanting to pay an astronomical amount of money. I don't know that they went necessarily to the highest bidder. I think they wanted to go to a bidder who they thought would be a good steward of the the brand. What do you think made the offer? Who do you think made the offer? Maybe one of the Chinese investors? And what do you think were the reasons the UFC went with the lesser offer? Kind of covered that already. Poirier Alves. I suspect... Alvarez is going to wrestle in this fight. It's a three-round fight, not a five-round fight, number one. Number two, he just came off that terrible loss where he got bink, bop, boop. <laughs> I think he wants to avoid that, and I think he's, uh, you know, Poirier can be caught on the feet, but he's dangerous on the feet too. And Poirier's got a real good guard game, but Alvarez has really good top control and passing and good, very good takedowns and might be the stronger of the two athletes. I am really expecting Alvarez to wrestle here, wrestle early and often. I mean, he'll probably slug it out a little bit, but I'm very much anticipating a wrestling heavy attack from him. For sure. Why doesn't the MMA media compile win-loss records for, for MMA teams? I don't know. Start it. This comes from Matthias1. There you go, Matthias. You just volunteered. I personally have no interest in that, but you might. So there you go. Someone says, why believe anything Dana has to say. I mean, it's not like he's ever lied in the past. Yeah, sure, he's got a credibility problem. I think he's saying that because WME is just starting to realize that they way overpaid for the UFC, and he wants his new bosses to feel better. Okay, that seems like irresponsible speculation, but... We'll let it go. How much longer will the UFC finance tough? It's almost comical at this point. Man. Well. Y'all see the ratings? Lowest ever for the season. Tough 25 seasons in and the numbers continue to decline. And what's interesting about that is that um, two things. One, I still think they're high enough for the UFC to keep going because you look at Fox Sports 1's numbers these are still higher than anything they do with undisputed or um, what's that show with Whitlock and coward what's on my mind or all takes matter or whatever the hell that show is it doesn't way better ratings than that so you know when it's a low rated when they're not showing live sports it's a low rated network so um, it still might be worth it for them to have it on there number one and number two Despite that I still think people are interested in this Cody uh TJ rivalry. The interesting part to me about this and I like all the guys. I have nothing but positive things to say about all of them. These guys are just having a disagreement, but it feels to me like a lot of people um have largely taken one side or the other in this TJ versus Team Alpha Male debate. I think most people sort of side with Team Alpha Male for one reason or another, some side with TJ. Um but they've, they're they mostly over the debate. They've kind of aligned themselves. What I'm interested to see play out is whether or not TJ, whether you think he's a victim or whether he just appears like one on television, whether or not this foments a kind of sense among the fan base that he's being picked on or that, okay, enough's enough. And that they kind of turn on um, go, C- Cody and uh, Team Alpha Male a little bit. I'm not saying that will happen. It's just something you have to sort of keep your eyes on something that could happen potentially given how things go but um, I think they will keep doing it to the point where it makes sense given the ratings on Fox Sports 1 the cost to produce and the value it provides in promoting a eventual fight and right now certainly we have declined from a degree we used to be to in a way that's hard to overstate but <coughs> excuse me I don't know I don't know that we've reached the tipping point there is a lot of uh, there's a lot more decline that could happen uh, before they pull the plug. This is boy, does this show die hard or what? Um as long as the UFC can put their brand on TV this often a year for this many hours a year without a live event and recruit talent and promote an eventual coach's fight. It ha- I mean, a lot of those ingredients have to be gone before they get rid of it. I've sort of made peace with that. Um, it, it might be a while. Unless, unless they come up with another idea and WME just doesn't want to finance it anymore, which is sort of what your question is about. But I mean, right now, that financing still seems to make sense. Heavy Hands. Luke, just wondering, do you listen to the Heavy Hands podcast on Bloody Elbows? Often as I can. I'm, I don't catch every single episode, but yes. Old Connor Rebush. I can't remember if it's Rubush or Rebush. And uh, Patrick Wyman do a great job. Are there any other podcasts you listen to? All right. What do I listen to? Um, oh my God. Uh, Okay, I listen to, what do I have, Uh, the run-up on New York Times, still processing, Um, let's see, I have the Federalist Podcast, I have the Ezra Klein Show, I try to get both sides, I have the Hot Takedown. Total Soccer Show, sports junkies, heavy hands. All right? Look at that. Huh? Uh, Joe Rogan Experience, co-made event podcast, move the sticks. I have some NPR podcasts, some ESPN podcasts. I have Grat and Danny. I have Can He Do That from the Washington Post. I got one from Sam Wong. There you go. There's just some good podcasts for you to listen to. What do you think about Dana White saying he's not in MMA for the money and never was? Seems like a ridiculous thing to say when he pays fighters terrible wages and is worth hundreds of. Well, it's a tone deaf thing to say. There is a look. It's a tone, it's an incredibly tone deaf thing to say. Like I'm in this for the money. Well, <laughs> you sure took a lot of it for someone who's not in it uh, for that reason. So I think naturally most people are like, you know what? Um, so if you if you didn't buy it at all, I'm not here to talk you out of it. I believe me at best it's the improper way to word it um but there's a part of me that feels a certain way about what he said and i think a part of me i, I think i can i might be able to get you to agree with me a part a part there's this much of what he said a part that i buy as true and the reason why is because um it is partly the de- like here's the truth good stewardship of the UFC and mixed martial arts doesn't always, and then sometimes definitely doesn't, but sometimes does coincide with positive financial returns. Putting on big fights that people want to pay money to see can go both ways, but sometimes it can go in a way where you are producing quality content that people have uh, a high demand for. That is ultimately, in many ways, not always, but in many ways, a very good thing for the UFC. What I mean to say is, There's a lot of people complaining about, well, the Fertitas are gone, but Dana White is still somewhat seen as part of that old guard that might be helpless with the new power structure, I think whether that's a fair interpretation or not. I guess what I'm trying to say is there are a lot of people who are like, I'm glad Dana is still there, someone who's a real fight fan, someone who has real knowledge of the industry, someone who has the right kind of feel for what fight fans want, who they are, and what they expect. And to say you're not in it for the money, you know, it seems a little ridiculous. However, what I think you can say in his defense is there are decisions that they'll make. You know, they don't do the legends fights. You know, right? Um, and that has been good for for Spike and Bellator, but they have a different brand with a different ethos and a different responsibility. The UFC has a certain kind of responsibility, and in many cases, the UFC has been very good about upholding that. In that, in the case like that, S chewing. Uh, money uh, or or the kinds of fights that could bring reputational harm, but could do great financial return um, those kinds of things I actually think he do, he should get credit for right i do I do think that uh, he has like there's no denying that um, the amount of money that they take as an ownership group relative to what they pay to the fighters is just grossly out of whack, and this guy has been made you know rich hundreds of millions of times over. Quite literally, uh, but there is a part of what he's saying that, despite all the money, and despite some you know managerial practices that need some reform, here he is a fight fan. Like you can't take that away from him, and he does have good sense about typically what fans want and what they don't want um, over time, especially when it comes to big uh, big uh, critical decisions. Like he said it before: does Does Mayweather McGregor make sense for my brand? It does not. It does not. Uh, but, you know, there's this other issue about what he owes Connor and things like that, which is why he wants to make it. Like, he gets it. He gets it. There's a lot of criticisms you can make of Dana White. Be- not being a fight fan is not one of them. It's so not. And making some responsible decisions about that, he made some irresponsible ones too, but he has made some responsible decisions. And I think, you know, I've been a critic of him over the years, but I cannot take the weight with that away from him, and I don't think it's a good time to do that now. So, you know, did he stumble into something by saying, I, I'm not in this for the money, you know, lights 100 on fire? Okay, that's not the best way to say it, but there's a little bit of something what he's saying that deserves some recognition. <laughs> Does Al Iaquinta have any Fs left to give? A lot of fighters keep fighting to barely get by financially. He's one of the few that fights for the love of it, so he says. And his financial stability comes from outside the cage. This guy's an insane talent, but if he doesn't fight again after this or only fights once every couple of years, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I am right there with you, man. Super talented. Uh, Always been very nice to me. You know, I can see why, you know, in defense of Reebok, God, if you could even say that, which I don't know if you can. Part of my understanding is they got into the MMA deal because they were sold a bill of goods that ended up not really being true. Like, oh, the fighters will absolutely love this, and they didn't know any better. Now, I've made the argument that, like, I don't care. I mean, did none of you... And by the way, Swiss Beats was apparently, like like... There we go. Look at that. Fixed. How about that being better? All right. I just did a huge thing on Ally Quinta, having no Fs left to give. But because, because we've already done it again, I'll just leave it alone. All right? All right. Ryan Bader versus Phil Davis. The fight just got announced and definitely an upgrade from the originally planned King Mo fight. Not sure that's true but okay i mean differences fine people like different fights differently what do you think of this fight and how do you think it will go down well remember it was the first fight i actually spoke to bader about this yesterday the first fight was in sweden uh at three in the morning and it was a split decision victory he thought the key to that fight was his jab so i asked him this time do you have any plans to really work your way through a circular cage versus the paneled angular cage? Didn't sound too committal to that idea, but I'm really curious about that. But I just feel like, um, you know, Davis wants to keep it at kickboxing range and stuff to take down or get on top, which is going to be hard against Bader. So he's going to really want to play that kickboxing range, and Bader's going to want to be inside at boxing range and, you know, clinch breaking, whatever. So I think you might see Bader getting a sh- shooting in, getting stuffed, and then banging him out from there, working inside the jab, um, you know, using forward pressure to keep Davis from being able to use his kicks, or if he's on the back foot, he can't set his feet, that kind of thing. That's what I'm looking forward to, kickboxing range versus boxing range. And whoever is the victor there, whoever is better at producing that, will ultimately uh, prevail. Uh, Megan Anderson's comments after the awful Alexis Davis versus Cindy Dandois fight. Boy, was that fight something else? Man. If my best friend was Misha Tate and begged Dana White to give me a shot, I'd probably be in the UFC, too, by now. Oof. Damn. Is that the only explanation for how in the world Cindy Dandois is fighting in the UFC? No. She has wins over Marluse Kuhn and Anderson. So, keep that, keep that in mind. Is the audio still on? Yes, it is. That's a good question. It didn't get wrecked, but I like it. Morality and sporting business. Hey, Luke, this question does not spawn from anything MMA-related, but I think it's pertinent enough to ask you on this chat. The soccer team I support over here in the UK, Manchester United, is the biggest and richest in the country, and has taken some criticism because it's also one of the very few soccer teams in the UK without a women's team. Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City all have one. People over here are saying that despite the lack of interest in women's game and a lack of financial incentive, an institution like man united has a moral responsibility to promote the female game what are your views on the potential ethical responsibilities like this in sport no i don't buy that at all um certainly in the case like okay in the united states if you own a business right i want to open up a restaurant now what things do you have to comply with you have to comply with any host of different building codes and uh um, you know uh, zoning issues that might be uh, involved are you too close to a school um, are you allowed to be X close to the curb or these are the things you have to deal with but one of the other ones you have to deal with is that your business has to be accessible to the to the handicap right There are certain um, um, ways in which you have to design and build your uh, business to comply with federal and local codes, related to compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Why? The basic insight is that everyone is equal before the law. Everyone is equal before uh, everyone should be treated equally. If you are a disabled person, you should be able to access something. um, Not with the same degree of ease, necessarily, I mean, but Certainly, it should be accessible to you in a reasonable kind of way. But this is about a law. This is about government enforcement. Um, It's a private business, but it's a private business that has sought permits and has certain compliance regulatory that it has to meet. Man United does not, Um, at least not in this particular case. There are other ways in which they have to do that. But um, unless there's some broad UK law I'm not aware of, which I suppose could be the case, but the point being is for a for a, this is why you know wrestlers got upset at Title IX, and no one is happy about the gutting of American men wrestling programs. But the fact of the matter is that if if everyone's equal before the law, there should be some measures taken in compliance with Title IX to make sure that women have access to in publicly funded institutions um, ac- access to athletic opportunities. Now, how you figure that out and what things you divvy up—that's where the details can get messy. I'm not defending Title IX as such, but Um, In this particular case, as I understand, there's no regulatory code that they have to be in compliance with, which leads you to another way you can present the argument, namely, um, do corporations outside of a legal context have a social responsibility? Uh, You might think that, my general view is that they should take up one. I don't know that mandating one is any kind of a way to go about it, Um, and typically just know that as someone who well, I won't even say that, but just know that all those efforts are phony. Like they don't most of the time ever really care about whatever cause they take up. Let's get plastic out of the ocean or um, let's help starving kids in some terribly aggrieved part of the world. This is merely a PR opportunity. So I, I, I if Man United uh, is not in compliance with a regulatory code, then that's a problem. Um, but if they take this up, it, you know, because the fan base wants it and they're responding to consumer demand, I also have no problem with that. I'm just saying if there's not consumer demand, there's not a regulatory code, and the organization doesn't want to, that's case closed for me. TJ versus Cody. What do you think will happen when these two finally meet in the octagon? How do you think the fight will go? I haven't even begun to think about this one yet. Oh, it's actually 2.15. Let's go to the Twitter machine, making sure the audio is still on. There we are. Just 50 tweets about your mic being out. Can you think of a time when Weidman, quote, came back from worse? No. Now, certainly gutting through that fight week against before Maya and winning was pretty damn impressive, but no, I mean, three losses in a row, Um, t- technically, all by stoppage. I know the last one's very controversial, but he needs to reset, man. He needs to reset. If Jones versus DC happens, will Cyborg versus to be the main event? Seems that way. Kind of odd if it plays out like that. Let's see if the UFC holds their word. It'll be very interesting. No sound for one minute. I am well aware. Besides people wooing at UFC events, is there anything else that the crowd does that really irritates you? Uh they'll, I remember I went to a Gina Carano fight and it was like guys were yelling the play by play for their wish list wish list of pornographic things they wanted to do to her. Uh that was distracting to put it mildly. Also gross. Um you see a lot of that. You see a lot of guys show up and you know just yell things right take them down. Girl! It's like, you know, you should treat. I like the Japanese way, where you should treat a fight like it's like it's a library atmosphere. Not all the time, but you know what I mean. Your mic went out. Just lost sound when you moved the mic, Luke. Your mic went out. Sound went out around two o seven. No sound, Mister Thomas. Um, you give a early preview prediction for Miocic versus JDS two. I will do that when we do that later that week. But if you're a fight pass fan, fight pass fan, go back and watch that fight. If you could only pick one team to succeed in the playoffs, would you pick the Caps or the Wiz? Caps. Because the Wiz are a young team. The Caps are about to get disintegrated. Which team gives you more anxiety? The Caps, by by far. Are you kidding? That team is just choke artists to the nth degree. Rogan versus Eddie Bravo. Who do you think would win? Eddie Bravo probably is a much better grappler. It's no shame. Joe's good, but Eddie's really good. Joanna makes her fifth title defense in three weeks. Why is she seventh in pound-for-pound rankings and not second? I think because people don't believe that her strength of schedule is necessarily all that impressive. Yet. For the Diaz fight rumor, is it Dan Hardy? No, you're not thinking nearly crazy enough. Not even close to crazy enough. Is Quinta hurting his future opportunities by speaking out? Probably. At least at least to a certain sector of the brands that would be willing to um, hire a guy like that. But look, also remember, th- that sector's been wrecked, man. That Reebok deal murdered the apparel business. So I think a lot of these guys are like, who cares? Like, what difference does it make, you know? Not only with UFC, but with Bellator too. No, I think if you went to Bellator, there would be like a bit of a reformation moment. And I think a lot of brands would want to get in on... I, I think there are brands that would like, would like to be in the Ally like, acquainted business. Um, but they're prevented or they don't have enough... You know, they don't have enough ways to get their brand exposed, I, su- I, I, I guess. By the way, I had a question. I think it was also on email. Let me pull that up real quick. Uh... Someone wants want to talk about the ESPN deal. I don't know if I have anything about the ESPN deal. Someone asked, like, don't these fighters have a responsibility to self-promote? Like, you know, complaining that UFC is not doing anything for you. You know, what is this really? This is a lame argument. And I'm like, it's super not a lame argument. Like, okay, yes. Could they do more to, to benefit themselves? Yes. You've got guys like Tyrone Woodley who are making the champ camp series on YouTube and Guys are making their own podcasts, and they're getting more active on social media. These are all interesting ways. But just think about what the UFC has to offer you. They're going to send in a team of videographers and lighting guys and microphone guys, and they're going to shoot you all day, maybe a couple of days, and they're going to do all the editing, and they're going to spit it out on their YouTube channel, which has more than a million subscribers, Like, or they'll put it on TV, or they'll... I mean. They have, just think about the complexity of the operation and the reach they have relative to what a fighter can do on his own. It's night and day. It's night and day, at least in the current state. Like if a guy was to really, you know, Joe Rogan has over a million subs on his channel, so he's really built up an audience there that he can do something with no matter what happens to him after this. That's a really sizable thing. But, you know, when a fighters are like, I don't get any push, you can see what they mean. Just think about how much it costs to produce some of the content and what they're able to do and how many people are associated with it and how nimble it is and how powerful it is in its reach versus the champ camp thing is awesome, but it's, it's only so much he can reasonably do hiring a videographer, maybe one sound guy to shoot him for a short period of time. And even that costs money. Uh, It's a different world, man. It's a totally different world. All right. Let's go back to the Twitter machine. I am now starting to get the feeling Iaquinta Quinta is just quote pulling a Connor, Connor spelled with two Ns to get eyes on him. Well, I don't know who that is. So uh else again how awesome Moreno and Perry are as fighters. Did that twice already. Go check out the Monday morning analyst in my post fight show. You get plenty of that. I saw an article about a WME IMG sponsored fighters retreat happening in May a while ago. Is that still happening? I'll have to check. It's a good question. Let's see, good question. Doesn't I, Quinta and his agent carry some blame for his situation? Sign shorter contracts for guaranteed purses. I think part of his frustration probably leads uh, stems from that. Is that yes? I don't like the way I'm treated. These are all these things that are wrong with this universe and the way it's constructed, but probably some helplessness about signing that deal and, 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 feelings of regret over it. So, um, you know, they had a different sense of, they had a different priorities when they signed it and halfway through, he had this awakening. Um, but yeah, there probably is some regret about it. Sure. Luke, would you say support, support a constitutional amendment to stop Diego Sanchez from further changing his nickname? No, I would not. How do they not have an opponent for Spider Silva yet? I don't know. I really don't know. It's a great question. They're trying. If Bellator is to close the gap between them and the UFC, what would be a game changer for Scott Coker? A game changer? Signing Connor? maybe. It have to be even more than that. Like Guys, the gap is massive. It's a massive gap. You would have to bleed 40% of their talent for them to be equal. Uh, Maybe more, right? Thoughts in El Clasico? I think a lot of Um, Man. Uh, I thought Hamas was going to be that game winner, man. Thought he was going to be that game winner, but then old Messi. What are you going to do? They pressed too high, they got countered, and Messi pulled off his magic. I think we can still win the league. Um, it was an incredible El Clasico. I had a bunch of friends asking me, hey, you interested in the Tottenham versus Chelsea game? Nope. Best game that weekend was in it was in uh, Madrid, folks. Um, you know, what are you going to do? We're still semifinals of the Champions League. I think we'll, I like our chances to make the finals. I like our chances for going to win the whole thing. But uh, when Messi's on, what are you going to do, man? Can't hate on him, right? But Bucktooth Suarez didn't do jack. Now, neither did Bale or Benzema. But just want to make that known. Um, do you think if problems arose with the UFC, Bellator would offer Conor McGregor ownership and he would switch companies? No. Places like Dublin and others show that they are crying out for and don't get no TV revenue, but solid gate figures. Well. Bellator is going out there a lot these days, so um, should be a lot to enjoy there. Could the UFC explore cross-promotion like Bellator Bama would widen the fighter base without signing contracts in a given? I think they should. I think they absolutely should explore cross-promotion, especially as it relates to fight pass. But they seem hell-bent on not doing that. I don't know why, but it's what they basically have with Invicta, right? Um I mean, not, it's not cross promotion exactly, but this handshake deal of you're our formalized farm system, but we'll promote you in a way that we don't promote any other brand. Um, I think more of that is needed. Does Artem Lobov versus Jeremy Stevens make sense to, for both fighters? Where is Stevens ranked? Before I say. So. Check, check, check you yeah. out uh let's see stevens is still ranked inside the top 10. i would say something like a a duho Mir mirside bektic darren elkins kind of thing outside top 10. good afternoon luke i hope you're having a marvelous day thank you george continued in the attached photo i was wondering if you could please explain and go over neil melanson's credentials and prestige as a grappler and coach. Well, people swear by him. I think he's more of a catch wrestler type no guy who has like a little bit Eddie Bravo ish, has a lot of his own setups and finishes and a ton, like a almost Dean Lister ish sort of encyclopedic way of put your hands here versus here versus here. Um, just seems to be a really good coach in person. I've never heard one bad thing about him. Uh, but I think the way in which he's described to me is that I don't know what as a competitor he really ever did. But has a bit of a background in a variety of submission grappling styles and as a consequence like dean lister these guys who have like who've done a little bit of judo jiu-jitsu and sambo and stuff like that they've got a lot of different tricks about ways in which to hold a grip and which grips work and when to switch and how to lean your shoulder just so i mean they've got a lot of like really fine-tuned techniques like that he seems to be one of those guys how do you decide what to upload on youtube from your serious xm show well I used to put a lot more on there. I'm putting less now um, as a way to, you know, I need to grow organic original content to that channel. And obviously, you know, if you pay for XM, you should get the benefit of having to hear the show. If you don't, there's only a few things I can really release. But, you know, what I think might be make some news, what I think is worthy about sharing with the wider audience, um, without giving away too much, right? Just sort of striking a balance there about what's newsworthy, what could be interesting, what do people want to hear, and what can I keep that would also entice people to potentially down the line. Um, sign up for SiriusXM services. So, How can Mark Hunt get booked to a fight so quick after a brutal KO loss? A bit worrying. They've got needs in, in New Zealand. Symbol's that, right? Let's see. Someone says, my boss says, Benzema is poop. Yes, he certainly is. Well, he has really let me down. He has not been there at all. Uh, Danny Segura tells me, my favorite has been, quote, punch him in the mouth at a local show. Tell so you go to local shows, man, I mean, you've heard more intelligent dialogue between arguing ten- tenants at on Judge Judy. Bellator's big shows. Look, Bellator's next cards, the London and NYC cards, are legit. And definitely show the growth of the promotion. Agreed. As both a fan and from a business perspective, what would you think about Bellator loading up three or so pay-per-view cards a year with the best they have to offer, leaving the dregs for Thackerville? <laughs> would that be successful? And is there any chance you think Coker moves in that direction if the NYC card is a big success? Well, I already spoke to him about it. You can check out the Coker interview on my personal YouTube channel. Um, I asked him, how many of these do you want to do a year? He said, two to three. So you're right in the ballpark. You actually nailed it perfectly. Um Now, he didn't commit, we're definitely doing two, we're definitely doing three, he just sort of spitballing, that's what I'm thinking for this year, so the first one's in June, I suspect, depending on how that goes, they'll probably wait and do another one, maybe end of year-ish, I'm thinking, I don't know if they want to do another one, like in the fall and then one in the winter, that seems like a lot, so I would suspect that doing that whole Japanese thing, not like in Japan, but you know, Coker has a lot of his sensibilities derived from that, that he would probably do that, um... So I would expect some kind of end of year or new year extravaganza for Bellator. Uh, I know UFC likes to do that too, but we'll see if they hold to it. So that's kind of what I'm expecting. I'm expecting two this year. Um, That card looks fun. I don't know how well it's going to sell on pay-per-view, the one in New York City, but it looks kind of interesting. Um, But yeah, two to three pay-per-views a year is what they're looking at. Two to three for now. And that could jump up to four to five depending on how things go, but for right this minute. I think Mark, uh, how far Mike Perry can go? Pretty far. I don't think he can win a championship, but he can go pretty far. All right. Thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Please give this video a like. Subscribe to MMA Fighting if you can. And if you have a question, you can email me at luke.thomas at One last reminder I am not here next week. I will be south of the border enjoying rainy Bogota, Colombia. So uh, you can follow me on Instagram at luke thomas news. I'll put up a lot of pictures there just to keep that thing running. Uh, Thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. You guys are the best. I will see you in two weeks. Until that time, you know what to do. Stay frosty.